Welcome to Beyond the Business, presented by the Coastal Financial Planning Group. Each Saturday morning at 8.30, listen in to successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the Lowcountry talk about what it takes to succeed in business and in life. Now your hosts, Rick Durkee, Eric Cox, and Leslie Haywood. And good Saturday morning to you, Low Country. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Business. Heard exclusively here on 94.3 WSC every Saturday morning at 8.30. Thank you for getting up and spending your Saturday mornings with us. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Cox, here with one of our co-hosts this morning, Lunch and Bubbles, better known as Leslie Haywood. <laughs> that's, morning, my Leslie. Ad- that's my adjective that's for today. Adjective. Since we don't have number three uh, in the studio, <laughs> Mr. Rick Durkee today, we're going with Lunch and Bubbles. Lunch so you're going to take over both adjectives for Rick, and I'll let the audience... And the listener decide which one's which on that one. <laughs> well, good morning, Low Country. I am Leslie Haywood, and thank you for sharing your Saturday morning with us. And make sure to continue the fun beyond Saturday mornings. Make sure and like our Facebook page, Beyond the Business, or talk to us on Twitter at BTBCHS using hashtag BTBCHS for Beyond the Business Charleston. And uh, you can't help but find us. And speaking of find us, I don't know uh, if you're listening this morning, you had a chance to find us. Last Sunday, when we were out touring around at the Charleston Wine and Food Festival, what a wonderful day that was out at the Culinary Village last Sunday afternoon. Yes, yes, yes. Hopefully I didn't embarrass myself too much. Never. <laughs> well, there goes, uh, I guess I guess who lunch or bubbles was in that comment. So, <laughs> but Leslie, let's turn back before we turn forward and let's talk about our guest over the last couple of weeks. Uh, which was Miss Clara Gonzalez from Tiger Lily. I know, and I just have so much to say about that interview. If you missed it, shame on you guys. Um, it was an awesome interview, um, two parts, and there was a part of the conversation that really resonated with me on a deeply personal level. I mean, she was at a threshold of growth in her business and realized that one thing holding her business and her personal life back from true success and happiness was her ego. And we mentioned how freeing it is that she let it go. And she was holding on so tightly to a large aspect of her business because she thought that nobody else could do it as well as she could. And when she finally realized, you know, why am I holding on to this part of my business? It was, you know, doing the wedding planning. Um, she actually saw that she it was crippling and sti- in a stifling belief. So she let that go and her business just uh, flourished. I think uh, a lot of us that are drive- driving around today or listening um, are thinking, gosh, OK, nobody can do this as well as I can. And I think they're wrong. I've yeah. I've, I've I've held on to things way longer than I should have because I just didn't I didn't think anyone else could do it like I could. But. Guess well, what? They can. If Claire, you're listening this morning, thank you. I loved your transparency and openness. And um, I love the fact she also recommended a book called The Top Ten Signs Your Ego is Running Your Business. Right? Cool book. And there's definitely many of us, and myself included, that that one will be on the read coming up. So uh, Claire did an amazing job. And you mentioned, uh, Leslie, as far as missing that show, if you did miss that show, uh, you can now go to coastalwm.com. That's again, coastal. WM.com. You'll see in the top right-hand corner, radio podcast. Clara's show will be up next week. You can also go back and see all of our last, I don't know, 20 or so shows on there as well and listen to them. So great place to pick up a podcast on your own time and listen to some amazing insights from entrepreneurs and leaders here in the low country, of which we have another one here in the studio this morning. Who do we have today? Mr. Bill Park from FarmRight, president and CEO. Bill, thanks for uh, spending time with us on a Saturday morning. Eric Leslie, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. 
We're excited to have you. I uh, know a little bit about your story from uh, some angel investing that I have done, and uh, it's good to see that story sort of unfold and come to fruition. And I know our listeners will be excited to get to hear all about FarmRight and where it's going and what you've been doing. Uh, we are going to do a little uh, dive into some history of you. But before you do that, let's take a quick second and give a quick 20, 30-second commercial for our listeners this morning on what is FarmRight. Yeah, so FarmRight, we make Livy. It's a home automatic medication dispenser. It can hold 15 different medications up to a 90-day supply, and the whole idea is to allow folks to age in place. So medication adherence in the U.S. is very poor. Uh, it costs the healthcare system up to $300 billion a year, and Livy's a, a solution to the problem. Wow. So it, it, you invented this product? Yes. So my background is pharmacy automation in the hospital space. We stepped into the home environment. And we wanted to keep people from sorting meds into plastic pill organizers, either overdosing, underdosing, going back to the hospital and costing the healthcare system a lot of money. So Libby is the solution to that. I love inventors. I, I, I tell you what, and we, yeah, certainly uh, from, from invention herself, uh, it was one of those stories when I first heard it uh, through, again, the Angel Investing Group. It was by far the one that stood up above everybody else that this is a home run. What a great idea, concept, and solves an amazing need that's out there today. Uh, but before we dive into today, I think we have something else we'd like to talk about. We go back. Uh-oh. This is where it gets tough. <laughs> I know. I know. We take you back. We go <laughs> into the time machine. Past. Yes. Our, so our story begins. Um, uh, your early influences and stuff like that. Let's talk about, first of all, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? Well, military brat. Father Ooh. was in the Coast Guard, um, graduated Navy from Coast myself. Guard Academy, uh, born in Connecticut, lived in Rhode Island, Louisiana, Seattle, back to Connecticut. And then after college was all over the place. So I've had, you know, a unique, I think, opportunity to see a lot of the world and or a lot of the U.S. and and gain experiences from every corner. So when you reflect back, obviously, Charleston is home now. But when you people say, where's home originally? What, what would you say to that? Well, Connecticut. So I spent my adolescence in Connecticut. My dad uh, did his 20 years in the Coast Guard. And after retiring from the Coast Guard, he took a job in New York City. So we moved back to uh, Darien, Connecticut. My mom and dad actually grew up in Norwalk, Connecticut. So a lot of family there. And I was about 12 at the time when we moved there. So that's really home for me. Home is Connecticut. But, it's funny. We, I was a Navy brat and we have kind of a similar story. And uh, my mom had this cross stitch plaque that everywhere we lo- we lived, she put on the kitchen and it says home is where the Navy sends us. And that, <laughs> get used to that right? you get used to it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What did your mom do? Uh, she was your classic uh, 60s stay-at-home housewife. She did everything, through the football, through the baseball, made sure dinner was on the table at 6, uh, spanked me and my brothers constantly. Oh, good. She's the disciplinarian <laughs> for sure. Uh, but, yeah, she was a professional stay-at-home mom. And so give us, uh, give our listeners a kind of an ideal – so you've got your dad who's in the Coast Guard, mom staying at home, siblings, what life is like, brothers and sisters, all that's going on in the household. Yeah, two brothers, Mike and Tim, um, five and six years older than I am. I'm the youngest. And uh, we, you know, we're a very, very close family, uh, always uh, played sports together. Like I said, my mom, you know, my dad would be working. She'd be out in the yard throwing the baseball, throwing the football, very athletic. She's Italian, very feisty. Uh, so we uh, we all we did a lot together and we'll probably get into this. But my my father was, you know, had, has been racing sailboats since she was younger. I, I got into it, um, was on the U.S. sailing team 
And uh, we always spent the weekends on sailboats racing together. So all that teamwork together, living together, we did everything together. Right. So you were definitely the baby of the family that we always talk about birth order and how it's interesting uh, seeing where people fall in leadership roles. Um, What kind of student were you back in the day? Very good math and science. Um, You know, I, I rarely read horrible habit. Even today, it's just it's it's affected me my whole life. Uh, and that's one thing I've been trying to pass along to the kids. So I was not, you know, not good with English and and anything other than math and science. Straight A's, math and science, barely a C in the others. And so just coming up through school, whether this was, you know, junior high or high school, uh, were you thinking much about the future and a profession at that time? Oh, heck no. Okay. Right. I was thinking about being a professional sailor, <laughs> nice. which nice. somewhere along the line, somebody told me uh, made no money. <laughs> with the with the rare exception but at that of that age, it didn't matter. It was all about Larry fun, Ellison right? makes a lot of money, but not from That's sailing. Right. But he does sail, which is funny because sailing is a very expensive sport. <laughs> it, it, it is, and and frankly, I think a lot uh, a lot of the reason I like being an entrepreneur and raising money is when we were on the U.S. sailing team, we had to pay mostly pay our own way. So we had to get sponsors and we had to go out and pitch to whoever we could pitch to to raise money to help us go to Europe and New Zealand and all the places where we had to go sail regattas. And I enjoyed that. And uh, and I think it's kind of stuck into the world of starting businesses and raising capital. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So tell us a little bit about at least what you can here on the air, your high school experience. High school experience, awkward. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I lo- loved high school. I wouldn't, wouldn't change a thing. Um you know, made many great friends, life, lifelong friends, and uh, learned how to really be independent. You know, learn how to start failing on your own and uh, picking up the pieces. You, know, you get reprimanded by the parents, but at that age, you're really, you're really starting to figure it out. Uh, you're really, you know, at a point where you have to learn from your mistakes. And, and I think that was the best experience about high school. But played sports, um, really got into sailboat racing at that time. So, you know, most of my weekends I was I was doing that. Even in the winter in Connecticut, we do frostbiting. So very, very busy, very active. Uh, and it went by in a blink of the eye. At least now it feels like it anyways. It's funny that you say, you know, that's where you were failing. And, and before we came on, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, raising our daughters and our children and about, about failing. So your parents were hands off. I, I feel now I, I'm trying to control everything that my kids do and don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. But I, I mean, my mom wasn't there to tell, you know, I failed uh, in high school as well as far as doing things and made some mistakes. Do you think that that helped um, make you who you are? Is, are those hands hands off parents? Yeah, it, it, it's it's shown me how to, you know, guard my children better um, because I was a, I was a rebellious teenager you know so i did i was you know on the party side of the equation always wanting to go out always wanting to um, uh you know stay out past the curfew and and throwing pots and pans at my mom we were you know she's italian so we got we got in heated, she heated arguments she well she started it I, I <laughs> she started it, it. oh my gosh yeah. but <laughs> uh it. you know i look back now and man god bless her <laughs> That's all I can say is she put up with me, raised all of us really well, and it's it's passing along to my my children. I hope if they're listening that they believe <laughs> that it's being passed along. So as your high school career is unwinding and you're looking to the future for college, 
Um, I know you ended up at Tulane University. Correct. Uh, talk a little bit about why you chose Tulane, what was going through your mind at this point in terms of, again, post schooling and and were you serious or still just all about the sailing at that point well definitely serious about the sailing but i wanted to fly so my whole family's in the military brothers father so i wanted to go to the naval academy they top you know top 20 sailing team in the country obviously you can fly in the navy so i got my commission to go to the naval academy and uh, i also applied to tulane uh, boston university university of washington and a few other schools Um, one day my father came up and said I don't think you should go to the Naval Academy. Now, this is a guy who went to the Coast Guard Academy. You would expect he'd be happy. But he knew me and said that, you know, you're going to you're going to get tossed out of that school very fast because you're very independent. You're not a you're not a rule follower, uh, probably not a great environment for you. So he encouraged me to look at the other schools, which all, by the way, had top ranked sailing teams and good engineering programs. I, I definitely had a uh, interest in engineering. So I went and visited the other schools. They had ROTC programs. And I went to Tulane with a couple friends. And we happened to be there on a night that was Dollar Corona night at a local bar. And I, and we were legal. Sold. 18 years old. We were legal. <laughs> so we went into okay, the bar. Yeah. And there's all these beautiful girls walking around. And I decided my dad's absolutely right. I'm not going to go to the Naval Academy. <laughs> I'm going to go to New Orleans and go to Tulane University. <laughs> And that's nice. how it happened. That's how it happened. Now, what degree did you think you you know wanted to? If flying was pretty much out, um, what were you looking at as far as degree wise? Well, so I, I, I flying was still in my head, so I went the ROTC route. Um, in the Navy, you can either walk out a Marine uh, or you can walk out a Naval officer. And Tulane happened to be a very heavy Marine option program, which I didn't know, so I ended up not lasting in the ROTC program long. But I was always headed towards mechanical engineering, so that was always going to be my my major. If I had a guidance counselor that was worth anything, they would have told me to go the computer science route because that's my true passion's always been software programming and the in the computer side of the equation. Which Not you visited nine or ten years later. We'll we'll hit on in a second to go back and get your. Um, computer engineering degree if i'm correct. yeah yeah certificates certificate. i never okay. never got a a true degree but took enough to understand it and, and kind of head down that path yeah so we, we try to do leslie on research and look at the background so there's this point which i see you graduate from tulane and i don't catch a lot in my research from then until really <laughs> uh you becoming a founder of your first company so let's talk about that gap what was going on during that time Yeah, so uh, we made the U.S. sailing team uh, right after college. I actually had, so Tulane had a unique program where you could graduate in five years with a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering and your MBA. So I was kind of on that track to get my MBA. I did the, my senior year, I took my first year of MBA classes um, and then started really becoming interested in the Barcelona Olympics, which was 92. I graduated in 90. So I, I started getting involved with the preparation for that. And we were doing a lot better than we thought we would. So I kind of pushed school aside, went after uh, we tried to make the Barcelona sailing team. We finished fourth at the trial, so we didn't quite make it, but great experience. Uh, So going back to my earlier comment about being a professional sailor, that's what was in my head at that time, not being a mechanical engineer. So tried really hard to, you know, find find our way to the Olympic team, to work in that industry as a sail maker. There's lots of, you know, peripheral type jobs in that in that uh, industry, but not enough to really make a lot of money. And it sort of came to a head in 1992 when I was passing through Charleston. I was to help 
augment um, the lack of money we received on the U.S. sailing team. I was coaching Connecticut College's uh, sailing team, and College of Charleston hosted a regatta every fall and every every spring. So I found my way down here and uh, happened to meet my lovely wife, Jan, who was at the College of Charleston at the time. So a friend of mine introduced me to her while we were passing through. So after the trials in 92 and, you know, falling in love and and meeting my future wife, I realized that, you know, sailing doesn't pay anything and I'm going to need to make some money. And that's where I shifted course. Uh, First job was up in Connecticut. I went back to, while Jan was finishing up, she went to MUSC's nursing school. So started at College of Charleston, went to MUSC, still in school here. I went back uh, to Connecticut Started with a consulting company, Briar Needle Patron Associates, uh, industrial design firm, mostly in the aviation space. So we designed baggage handling systems, uh, mail freight systems like FedEx, UPS sortation systems, and started in, in that world and soon did a lot of traveling to airports and and helping uh, get systems online. So that was kind of the start of my career was that 1993 and by the way, in case you're wondering whose story that is, you're listening to at this point of this morning. It's Mr. Bill Park, who's the president and CEO of FarmRight here in Charleston. And we're kind of leading up through the early years and formation years and obviously getting into the, the good part of the employment years. Now, um, so how long did it take you to get back here and what was your plan? I know love makes you do crazy things. Did you know you were coming back to Charleston? Yeah, we're, we always wanted warm weather. Uh, it, there's a long journey before we moved back here in 06, but it was either New Orleans, where my wife's from, or Charleston, where she went to school. And I, I fell in love with Charleston when I first saw it. Um, not a huge economy here back in 92 for mechanical engineers or 90, 93. And that's why I went back up to Connecticut. So um, the, it, the timing had to be right. And the timing for us was I started my own company and we could live anywhere. So we had that opportunity to say, well, let's put a flag in Charleston and, and move there. So let's dive into that point, because obviously this is all about beyond the business, right? And so you're going from working for individuals to I'm going to run my own company. Let's talk about the the mentality behind that, the, the psychology behind that, the conversations with you and Jan behind that, what really sparked the entrepreneurship cycle for you? San Francisco. <laughs> li, li, so I was working at the uh, um, San Francisco International Airport. I was working on some systems for United Airlines and then the new international terminal was being built. All of my friends and neighbors were becoming millionaires in the startup tech community. So stock options. I mean, this is back when Apple was about mm-hmm. ready to die. But all of the, you know, Oracle Sun, all of these other great companies were popping up. And I was just a number in a large corporation. So I'm trying to, you know, see what my future holds. And around me are all these excited people that have been working for a year, two years, and overnight they're millionaires. Right. And in an exciting industry. I mean, I love, like I said, computers, software. I wanted to figure out how to leave the consulting world and become more of a product developer. And at the same time, experience the, you know, the, the rewards that, that I was seeing happen all around me. And that was the beginning of my search to start looking outside of the industry I was involved with. Uh, oh, I was just going to say, was your, uh, were you married at this point? Yes. So this was 90, 95, 6, and 7. We and were did in San she Francisco. support you uh, in this decision? Because I know as, as, you know, a wife... That's a skin. Even my husband, when I said I'm going to go ahead and do this, they're like, oh, yeah, I agree. But oh, it's a scary thing to get rid of that paycheck. 
Yeah, it's good timing. You know, she's working as a nurse at UCSF in San Francisco. Uh, so we had her income. We had my my income was great with the consulting firm I work for. No kids at the time. So we really didn't have any. It really wasn't a really a risky proposition to look in the tech. Plus, she was around me and around all those same people that were doing really well. And so she was she seeing. Like going, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's your passion. And then there's so not only does she support, <laughs> she was pushing yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be a consultant. And actually, when I was a consultant, I flew because we we're in that in the aviation space. I was flying every week to United's world headquarters in Chicago. I was, you know, at United L.A., United Denver. I mean, we were we were on an airplane pretty much every other day of the week. So it seemed like a great change from just from that perspective. And coincidentally. Uh, at the same time, I got about that time, 90, I'll call it 1996, late 96, or I'm sorry, late 90, yeah, late 96, early 97, I got a call from a headhunter that was looking to start an aviation group up in Seattle. So my parents had moved back from, had moved from Connecticut back to Seattle uh, in 1990. So they were there. My brother, Tim, who's five years older and graduated from high school in the Seattle area, he was actually up there. So it was a good opportunity to get closer to family. And then Seattle obviously had a thriving tech community. So I figured I'd take, I'd take that, that uh, position, get, get the relocation handled and spend a year looking around at what my first high tech, you know, industry startup opportunity would be. And that's how we got up to Seattle. And was that Sable Medical? No. So uh, the first, my first opportunity was NextRx Corporation. Okay. So that was my jump into healthcare. So NextRx was a company. It was a pharmacy automation company that built large robotic systems for hospital pharmacies. So it would dispense ten thousand unit doses a day for the patient population in the hospital. We had nursing products. We had a lot of software. So it was that. You know, I was able to get into that product development world, get around software, um, learn about healthcare, and experience all of the pre-dot-com bubble burst excitement of a startup. Uh, but I was there during the bubble burst as well, so I got to see the aftermath of it. Learned a lot about the industry, fell in love with healthcare. I mean, it really is a, it is a caring industry, whether you're a clinician or on the technology side. It's fun being involved with that because somebody's benefiting somewhere. Believe it or not, <laughs> somebody somebody truly is. So it's it's an exciting world. Um, but that that experience uh, kind of showed me an idea, which became Sable Medical. Uh, NextRx. Uh, I started in 1999. Uh, one of my partners today, David Duranzo at Farmright, we met. He met uh, in 2000. So we've been together since. We're kind of like yin and yang, and uh, we both went out on a limb and started Sable Medical in 2005 and that's when i decided i wanted to live in charleston uh and my wife and i decided that that would be the place to start the company and i convinced david who was born and raised in the seattle area and his wife who grew up in washington state as well to pick up everything they had and move out to charleston with us and that he came out in 07 so you guys were coming about the same time Boeing was coming. Everybody was moving this way at the same time. Well, Boeing, yeah, Boeing was a, a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but, da you know, David actually has a lot of roots in, in, uh, with family in Boeing as well. So we, we kind of lived through that whole saga of them moving out of Seattle and going to Chicago and then obviously opening yeah, the Dreamliner plant. It's really, really neat. But, but it was a, Sable Medical was a great experience. It was our first startup, you know, as founders. 
um, raised money from the angel community, raised money from the venture capital community, and we're very fortunate to sell uh, to a Swiss company in 2000, uh, late 2010, January of 2011. Um, it, was a, it was a very difficult time to be in a startup raising a lot of capital. So in, in next week's show, we're going to get a chance to dive into certainly your current venture and all that went into getting that off the ground and raising capital. And unfortunately, we're about to wind down this morning's show. But I would Where like did the to, time go? I know it goes by fast. I would like to talk real quick about, uh, as a founder, your first company, uh, you and David come to this point of saying, yeah, it is time for us to sell, to, to step out. And I know you, they, they kept you on in, in capacity as a VP, but that decision to uh, – sell the business you started. Talk a minute about how you come to that as a founder and when or how you know it's the right time. Well, it's tough. You know, everybody has a vision when they start a company of hitting a grand slam. This was a good double. and But it came after, you know, of, of difficult um, economic times. We were in the middle of trying to raise $8 million in a Series B raise. Um, and, and the hospitals had kind of shut down capital expenditures. And our product was a CapEx product that we were trying to sell to hospitals, and we needed the capital. So it was a very difficult time for us to just make it to the next step. But we were also out there uh, making or building relationships with strategics, and we had come across a company called SwissLog, uh, which is a Swiss logistics company, primarily in the warehouse and distribution space, but also in the in the hospital space. And uh, they had a very good pharmacy presence, but a very uh, had no nursing presence. And Sable was really a nursing product. So it was a good fit. We first approached them as a strategic seller of our product. But as times got tough, we talked about, you know, what are our options? And these, this is some of the hardship of starting a business. It's not always good. There's always difficult times, and we had to make a decision. So the decision was, let's see if we can find any suitors and 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 sell our our IP and our company to them. And they, it was the right time. They were looking for an extension into the nursing community, and we did that. And it was a great story. You know, we made our investors money, and we were happy. Well, certainly, Bill, we could uh, go on and on this morning and dive more into the story, but unfortunately, we're about out of time, so we're going to have to extend that to next week. Uh, but uh, what great insight, just in terms of kind of your upbringing, and you know, you've reflected so much on on being in that sailing community competitively. Your dad certainly coming from a military background and how all that's fed into who you are today. I hope our folks will that are listening will join us next Saturday morning to hear the rest of the story. Um, and, and kind of what you're doing today and how that venture has taken off. So I uh, really appreciate your time and your energy today and sharing that story with our listeners. Well, Eric, thank you for having me. Leslie, thank you as well. Appreciate you're welcome. It. And if you want to continue Beyond the Business, make sure and like our Facebook page, Beyond the Business, and follow us on Twitter at BTBCHS. And uh, Bill Park will be, I'm sure, on social media, and we'll make sure you get in touch with him. If you have any questions, we'll be hanging out on Facebook. Until uh, next Saturday, 830, Low Country. Have a blessed week, and thanks for joining us. You've invested countless hours and dollars building your business. You can now actually begin to see the fruits of your labor. But did you know that according to Business News Daily that more than 60% of small business owners planning to leave their business in the next 10 years don't have an exit strategy? Hi, it's Rick Durkee of the Coastal Financial Planning Group. Let me ask you, have you planned your personal financial future wellness as well as that of your business? Have you established a succession plan for your business? Have you developed a plan for your perpetual legacy? 
Join me for a free discovery workshop to develop the best strategy for your business. BEST Business Exit Strategy Timetable. Call now and I'll send you an invitation by email to learn how to develop your business exit strategy timetable. Call 843-735-5065. That's 843-735-5065 for this free discovery workshop on how to develop your business exit strategy timetable. 843-735-5065. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Business, presented by the Coastal Financial Planning Group. If you're a successful business leader or entrepreneur and would like to be featured on a future program, send an email to rick at cfpgroup.biz. Listen in next Saturday morning at 830 for Beyond the Business, presented by the Coastal Financial Planning Group and heard exclusively on News Radio 94.3 WSC. 